Good morning, church family. Good to see everybody here today. The scripture reading is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and a sound mind. I made that the scripture reading because of the times that we're going through today. We cannot proceed in fear. We have to put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I, I normally do, a uh, at this time of the year, I will do something related to the 4th and Independence Day, but I chose not to because these are unprecedented times that we're living in today. So the title of today's study is Noah, Abraham, Gideon, Elijah, Esther, Mordecai, and you as individuals. Luke 18, 9 to 14, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And in it, I think that if you have not chosen to make the kingdom of God first in your life, not that I'm picking on the Pharisee, it matters not what you have chosen instead. The Christian who trusts in and believes in his own light and his own will is like the very Jews that trusted in their own righteousness. And unfortunately, if you are doing this, all you will receive from the gospel from all that you read, from all that you study, is only what the Pharisees got by the law. They were further from entering the kingdom of God than the publicans they slandered or the harlots whom they condemned Jesus for associating with as he broke bread with them. Nothing but Christ in man can bring us about a godly life in man. Nothing else will survive the times that we are going through. Nothing else will help us but our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as the parable states, and as he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Uh oh. Uh oh. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican back here. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In these times, we cannot point fingers here and there. 
we must take it upon ourselves to put our faith totally in the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. Okay, let us pray just a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, let it not my words that I speak, but yours, Heavenly Father, as we go through this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the privilege that you bestow upon us so we may sit here today in freedom and pray, worship as free men here in this nation under God. Amen. Okay, we're going to get right down to it. Genesis 6.13, God said to Noah, I am putting an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Today as we stand fast on the rock of Jesus, let's not get out of the boat. Let's stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. For 120 years Noah preached the same thing over and over and over again. What was he preaching? He was asking people to do what? Repent. Repent. Yes, repent. You sinners, get in the boat. And once you're in the boat, don't get out of the boat. It is proposed by E.G. White that during the antediluvian time, there were advanced civilizations in culture, industry, science, and even with greater physical and mental attributes than we hold today. They also had something that we share with those ancestors, Genesis 6-5, and that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. What's going on today? Evil. In a few weeks, I will be, through by God's grace, I will be, have been on this planet for 70 years. And looking back, I have never seen such insanity that is going on as it is today. In Noah's time, great art and inventions were destroyed and swept away by the flood. Invention and creative skill went far beyond what is boasted about today. True knowledge has decreased with every successive generation. God is infinite, and those closer to the beginning of creation received their knowledge and were instructed by the infinite God who created this world. Those who received knowledge from the infinite wisdom were not deficient in want of knowledge. From the descendants of Shem came Abram, and he was called out by the Lord to be a great nation. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham did as the Lord had asked and moved on with his wife Sarai, Lot and his wife and his brother's son and all their possessions 
unto the land of Canaan they came. We know the story of Abraham. He was a friend of God and his faith was most incredible, was it not? And most unbelievable is the story of Abraham and Sarah birthing a child well beyond the years of childbearing. But all is possible with the Lord, is it not? Even though they laughed at the suggestion of such a miracle, henceforth a child was born to Sarah, and she named him Isaac. And Sarah said, God made me to laugh, so all that here will laugh with me. And Isaac in the Hebrew literally means he who laughs. So we get to the highest point of Abraham's relationship with God. God calls out and tempts him. Abraham. And Abraham replies, Behold, here I am. Here is Abraham's true test of faith. And he said, Take now, God says to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Hmm. If that were you, what would you be thinking? Note, though, there is no implying of hesitation in the scripture on Abraham's part. There are no questions which probably would come from any person hearing a voice asking to do such a thing in today's society. So onward, early in the morning, they traveled. And E.G. White suggests in Patriarchs and Prophets, because you have to see that they traveled three days, E.G. White suggests that all these three days, Abraham probably was questioning and praying as they made the journey. He was deep in prayer, I would suggest. And they traveled three days hence until Abraham saw the place that God intended. They stopped. Abraham and Isaac proceeded up the mountain carrying all that was necessary for making of the offering. Isaac asked his father where the lamb for the offering might be. Abraham's reply was, the Lord will provide. What faith. The drama unfolds, Genesis 22, 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar of the wood. Where would your faith be at this moment? Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What faith? Suddenly a voice calls out from heaven, Genesis twenty two eleven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replies, here am I. Genesis twenty two twelve. Lay not a hand on the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. 
I propose that this is a precursor to Jesus coming. And what he did on the cross for us. What faith this man called Abraham had. And through this, the Lord fulfilled and blessed Abraham abundantly. Genesis twenty two seventeen, That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. What a calling. What a faith. Abraham, the Lord's friend and faithful. Another voice from above calls out, Gideon, Gideon, come out from the bottom of that wine press. Come out, come out from where you are hiding. I need you out here right now. I'm not just talking about Gideon here. We need you out here right now huh Lord Gideon thinks what what's that you say you want me to do what we all know the story about Gideon fighting the Midianite army he had just too many soldiers didn't he he had too many soldiers the Lord would cut his thousands to how many three hundred Just 300. Thus making a statement to the nation of Israel. By proposing a miracle. By beating the Midianite horde in the dark of night with lanterns and trumpets. Amazing. Let's back up to the beginning of Judges 6. We find the start of a curious relationship between the Lord and Gideon, son of Joash. It is curious from the point of view that it parallels our lives today. Our relationship individually as a church and as a nation under God. Judges 6.12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the angel said, The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. We have to be Gideons. We have to be mighty warriors. Do we not? And Gideon thought, hmm. Me, a mighty warrior? How much, like Gideon, we question, we grumble, we doubt, and we complain. And I, too, have to confess that I delegate responsibility. Can I go out there and knock door to door? Can I hand out glow tracks just by, howdy, neighbor, have a glow track. How simple is that? That's pretty simple. But it's walking up that sidewalk and there's barking dogs on either side and you just want to get up on that port. You just want to run away. But you just just go up to that door and my wife Claudia and her friend Mary are soldiers. They cover the entire decab area. And if the person ain't home that week, they'll go back the next. And they'll... Howdy, neighbor. It's not easy. Judges 6.13, referring to the nation of Israel, Gideon replies, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? 
Why is this COVID happening? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Have you ever felt forsaken? Left behind? Of course, but that is not the case when planted firmly in the word of Christ Jesus. It's not supposed to be anyway. Have faith like Abraham. Have faith like Abraham. Claim his promises, you Gideons of today. Claim his promises. Judges 6.14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And who is speaking here? God. Am I, the Lord, not sending you? Who is speaking here? God is speaking here. By whose authority is Gideon being sent? God. Ye of little faith. Still not believing what he is hearing, Gideon the reluctant inquires in Judges 6.15, But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. My church is the smallest in members in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. I'm sure at this point the Lord is simply shaking his head. But he's still smiling. He's still smiling. Judges 6.16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. Together, together with the Lord, my friends, that is how we accomplish mighty tasks, overwhelming tasks. The word together implies that God was with him, God with us, together we will accomplish these mighty things. If God be with me, who can stand against me? Amen? Amen? Amen. Together we overcome. Together. Amen? Amen? So suddenly Gideon has an aha moment and comes around. Judges 16 or 6, 7 to 18. He is excited. He realizes he is in the Lord's favor. And he says, don't go away. He's begging. Gideon must be thinking, wow, me of all people, I've been chosen. The Lord has chosen me wide-eyed and overcome from being in the presence of the angel of the Lord. Gideon says, I will bring back an offering and set it before you. So don't go away. Okay? And the Lord said, assuring Gideon of his patience, I will wait until you return. I will wait until you return. Is God waiting on you today? Until you return? When you drift apart from? I can sort of relate to that because I had a very rock and roll life. For many, many years I was on the road playing music. The Lord is always tapping me on the shoulder. And I probably said this before right here. I used to always say, hang on, Lord. I'll get back to you on that. I'll get back to you. My mother prayed for all her life. Larry, I will pray for you is what she always said. The patience of the Lord is incredible. 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 
I can testify to that. Elijah. We're going to keep moving here. Elijah. Here then was a Hebrew prophet facing the very same decisive issues we face today. And he was asking his people to make a decision with him. All were aware of the history of their nation. How God had delivered their fathers from bondage and into a land of pioneers. How his holy law had been written in the nation's constitution. How the Ten Commandments had become a bill of rights and a declaration of independence. But something in that nation's light had begun to fade. Moral decay had begun to set in for the nation of Israel. What's happening today around us, friends? They had begun to love things more than principles. They had become materialists and worshipped materialism. They worship now a God of flesh, and his name was Baal. Doesn't matter what name you put upon it, Satan is Satan. No matter what you call it. Elijah saw the danger. He saw what would happen once the moral fiber was stripped away, so he summoned the 450 prophets of Baal, King Ahab, and the nation's leaders. It could not be both, he said. They had to get on one side or the other. Where do you sit, friends? Are you on the fence? The devil owns the fence. You've got to get on one side or the other. And you remember the dramatic test, the trial by fire, How on the parched, sun-baked slopes of Carmel, Elijah announced his proposed test. And he stated to those of Baal, let the sacrifice begin. Go ahead. Let it begin. Let him who would be God send down fire to consume the offering. Let Baal and his priests have the first go-round. Then began the weird and strange performance. Elijah pointed and poked fun at the participants with sarcasm. Cry louder, he said. Cry louder. He is a God you are crying out to, isn't he? Perhaps he's asleep. Or maybe he's gone for a walk. Cry louder. Wake him up. All day long this went on. Until Baal worshippers were spent and hoarse from their pagan dancing and shouting because there was absolutely no response. No voice had answered. Then Elijah calmly went over to the broken and forgotten altar of Jehovah and rebuilt it. He sat there his sacrifice. Elijah did not rant. He did not rave. There was no blaring music. No shouts or repetitive mantras. The answer from Jehovah came down in the form of a blinding flash of fire, consuming the offering. The people were in shock. They fell immediately upon their faces and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What will it take 
for America? What will it take for the world to wake up? Mordecai and Esther. It's interesting in the story of Esther, in the book of Esther, God's name does not appear anywhere in the book of Esther. But his providence appears throughout the story. No disbeliever could have written this book. No believer can read it without finding their faith restored. God's power and deliverance is strikingly displayed throughout the book of Esther. Divine power is, is united with human effort. That was key then as it is today in our situations. Yes, the means used by our Heavenly Father are through humanity. We are the boots on the ground. We carry forward his love, his understanding, his mercy. That is used by our Heavenly Father through our humanity, as I said. But the deliverance is, in the end result, divine. So all that you do in the name of the Lord is divine. Although Esther is the lead actress in this story, I have to say that Mordecai gets an Oscar for Best Supporting Character Actor. He should get an Oscar. It was said by Mordecai to Esther in Esther 4.14, For if thou altogether holdest thou peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Doesn't that speak to you as well? As individuals. Who? If not you, who? If not now, when? This was Esther's time, should she choose to muster the courage and go forward according to her uncle's request. Wherever you are right now is the place for you to be of service. You are rebuilding, reinventing your own life, or helping others. Whatever the situation, we are all connected with someone who is fighting a huge battle, especially in these uncertain times. Do you, brothers and sisters, have an obligation to pass forward what you know? Of course you do. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. That is a challenge to us today. Those out there are knowing it is our obligation to help them to know. I love the story of Esther. It is a simple story and it fits our dilemma in today's time of present truth. There are two feasts going on here. 
two very important feasts. One of kingly debauchery and one deserving of a queen's peace and grace. God overruled the king's folly for future good. Esther 1, 8, 9, because for seven days this party went on, drinking, eating, music, and dancing girls. Anything a man could imagine was to his good pleasure. Imagine that. Kingly debauchery. The king calls out for his beautiful queen. But Queen Vashti refuses to leave her quiet, respectful gathering to display herself before the drunks at the king's festivity. She acted in harmony with a pure conscience. She believed that when the king came to his senses, he would commend her actions. I don't think so. That's not what he did. But the king's face told a story of disappointment, and his close buddies, his aides, jumped into action. In order to set things right, they unwisely suggest a decree to oust the queen from her position and send her packing, and a quest for a new queen should begin. Esther 1, 13-22 tells the story, The wise and noble male princes of the king's realm reasoned that if the news spreads, this would set in motion throughout the land the rebellion of wives against spouses, thus creating internal marital turmoil against the men of the day. Vashti going unchecked might have started a woman's liberation movement. Imagine that. Then that just couldn't happen. Mm -mm. Not in a patriarchal world. Mm -mm. None of that going on. But note, consecrated women of faith have an important part to play in society today. Like the ladies of the Old Testament times, like the the ladies of Old Testament times, converted women today can play an important role even in the humblest of positions. Right? Simply going and knocking door to door. Esther in chapter 2 After the ousting of the queen, Esther in chapter 2 is made queen of the realm. Esther chapter 2, 21 to 23, Mordecai, her uncle, becomes a royal officer as well. Esther 3, 1 to 3, Haman the Agagite is promoted and the trouble begins. And why is the word Agagite important here? Way back in 1 Samuel 15, 8 to 9, King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel to destroy from the face of the earth. That means clean it. Totally clean the face of the earth, right? Doesn't mean leave a couple of sheep here or leave a king there, but that's what he did. King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel to destroy from the face of the earth everything Amalekite, including King Agag. But history tells a different story. Haman is on the scene because he is actually an offspring of King Agag. And unfortunately, everyone was required to bow when he had passed through the kingly gates. But Mordecai vexed Haman by his unwillingness to comply. Esther 
3, 8 to 11. Haman goes to the king and he says, There is a certain people among us, O king. The trying experience in the days of Esther are not just particular to those times. Today the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping Sabbath commandment a Mordecai sitting at the gate. Is it possible that we people We are the Mordecai sitting at the gates. And because of this, Haman's decree was sent forth in Esther 3, 12 to 13. In Esther 4, 1, 3, Mordecai perceives what atrocity had taken place and becomes distraught. And he appeals to the new Queen Esther. Queen Esther is his niece. Her name really isn't Esther. In the Jewish, it is Hadassah. Hadassah. So Esther is now in the king's favor. But Esther listens to Mordecai. In Esther 4, 15 to 17, Esther accepts the challenge. And in Esther 5, 6 to 8, she entertains the king and Haman, seeking to make a petition because she was found in the king's favor. Because what she did is she took what Mordecai stated to heart and she enters into the kingly presence. And the king, seeing Esther, holds out his staff, his scepter, in favor and asks Queen Esther what she wants. And she says, oh, king, if I am in your favor, I simply want to have a banquet with you and Haman. Very simple. King says, of course, of course. Esther 5.9. After the banquet, Haman was so joyful. But as he approached the king's gate, There sat that nasty Jew, Mordecai, who would not bow or move out of his way. But Haman refrained himself at that moment. But inside, Haman's heart was raging. And he goes home, calls forth his friends, his wife, and verbally lists before them all his accomplishments. I've done this, I've done that. The king loves me. And, 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 and here is this Mordecai, this Jew, who refuses to comply. He will not bow down. He won't get out of the way. This guy's a pain. Well, his friends and his wife suggest, five, Esther 5, 13 and 14, to build a gallows so that Haman's heart will become unvexed by the death of Mordecai, and he will merrily, merrily attend the queen's banquet after this is done. Right? He wants to hang that guy. But that very same night, King Hazarius could not sleep. Something was bothering him. 
The king checked the court chronicles, and what did he find? He found that Mordecai actually saved his life and pointed out those who were going to go against the king and supposedly kill him. And the king sees this. Wow. Wow. Now it gets good. Remember the saying, be careful of what you wish for? Esther 6.4. The king inquires as to whom might be standing in the court that morning. It just so happened to be Happy Haman. Because Happy Haman had figured out what to do. Happy Haman said, I'm going to hang this guy and everything's going to be just fine. Yes. <laughs> let's read six. Let's read Esther 6, 6. And remember that pride goes before the fall. Can we have... Oops. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? What's Haman thinking? Who else could it be but me? I'm the only guy. Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than me? Let's keep moving. Seven, six, seven. Can we get seven? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Let's keep going. Let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor and bring him on horseback through the streets of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Wow. Then the king says to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horses thou hast said, and do even so so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Huh. <laughs> what do you think happy? Was it still happy Haman? <laughs> I think it was a sad Haman. <laughs> I think it was so sad. Well, a humbled Haman slinks back to his home after all that. 6, 13 to 14. 6, Esther 6, 13 and 14. Can we get that one? And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall, but shalt surely fall before him. Well, and while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman to the bank unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. Whew. Yes. Yes. And what happens at the banquet? He's more, Haman is escorted to the banquet and the king says, or asks Esther, Queen Esther, what's going on? Queen Esther takes her finger and points at the man. It is he 
who has brought about the injustices that were going are going to befall my people. And the king says, how is this so? Through his decree, Haman's decree that you signed, well, the king's distraught. He walks away for a moment to think. The king goes a little bit out into a garden, right? And he's thinking. When he comes back, where's Haman? What's he doing? He's actually laying beside the queen on her bed. What does the king think? Ha! If all that is said is true, and here's this man now trying to get me with my wife? Put a bag over his head. The guards come in, put a bag over Haman's head, and guess where he ends up? Hanging from the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. Be careful what you wish for. Haman's decree was countermanded, and all was well in the kingdom. And the Jews to this very day celebrate that event. You see, the decree that will go against the commandment keeping people will be similar to that inspired by Haman and issued by King Hazurus against the Jews. The reverence of God's people for his law is a constant rebuke to those who have cast off the fear of the Lord and are tramping on his fourth commandment, Sabbath. We must proceed, though. The revelator, looking down through the ages to the close of time, has declared in Revelations twelve seventeen, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Today, I might propose that Satan has already aroused indignation against the, the minority who continue to thumb their noses at popular customs and traditions. Men in high positions and reputation are joining with those who are proposing these agendas to the forefront. A day of family rest, which will morph into a Sunday law. Worldly wealth, genius, and education will champion this agenda. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and even our own church members will conspire against us. With voice and pen, by boasts, ridicule, and threats, they will seek to overthrow those of faith. False representation and angry appeals will stir the passions of the people. Those not having the thus saith the Lord scriptures to bring against the advocates of the Bible Sabbath will resort to oppressive enactments to supply the lack of literal Bible knowledge. To stabilize and secure popularity and patronage, legislators will yield to the demand for Sunday laws. But those in faith and fear of God cannot accept an institution that violates a precept of the Decalogue. On this great battlefield of controversy, we will fight the war of truth and error. We sitting here are not left with any doubts as to issues that are unfolding before us today. And tomorrow, and just like in the days of Mordecai, Esther, and all those within the Bible pages, the Lord shall and will vindicate his people. Amen.
So who are you today? Or who would you like to be? Would you like to be Noah the ark builder? Abraham of the faith? Gideon the reluctant? Mordecai the gatekeeper? Esther securing the future? Or how about Elijah calling out the challenge? Where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? And I've gone way over my time. Curiously, back in 1983, Senator Peter Hoagland on the radio show, in Nebraska Senator Peter Hoagland on the radio in 1983 said, fundamental Bible-believing people do not have the right to indoctrinate their children in their religious beliefs because we, the state, are preparing for the year 2000 when America will be part of a one-world global society and their children will not fit in. Take that for what it's worth. Can you read that again? Can you read that again? Huh? Can you read that again? Sure. Nebraska Senator Peter Hoagland on the radio in 1983 stated, Fundamental Bible-believing people do not have the right to indoctrinate their children in their religious beliefs because we, the state, are preparing for the year 2000 when America will be part of a one-world global society and their children will not fit in. Wow. So like I say, take that for what it's worth. Where are we headed today, friends? I can't wait for the dear Lord to get here. Amen? Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we live in this great nation of America. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your mercies. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us, Heavenly Father, as a nation, as individuals, Heavenly Father. We cannot imagine living in a land without freedom. Heavenly Father, we cannot imagine living in a land uh, without conscience, without morality, Heavenly Father. It is foreign, Heavenly Father, what is happening to us today. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom to be able to come here and worship as we please. We hope that today's study was pleasing to you, Heavenly Father. We ask that you give us traveling mercies to go home. Heavenly Father, we ask that you give us mercy and protect us and guide us and keep us away from all evil that is being incurred within this country today. We praise your name, Heavenly Father, and we ask, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you be our guiding light. Your Son, Jesus Christ, help us to walk in the light of Jesus throughout the coming days, throughout the coming months, throughout the coming years. We thank you and praise your name. Bye your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.